to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Meg Durham and I am thrilled that you're here for this conversation. I have a feeling that this conversation is going to really strike a chord with you. And you may find yourself listening more than once because there is so much that we cover in this incredible conversation about how can we assert ourselves. Do you struggle to know what you want? Do you find it hard to ask for what you need? Do you often feel frustrated and resentful when others do not meet your expectations? If so, you are not alone. As teachers, the process of reflecting on what we want and articulating our needs can be deeply uncomfortable because we've been conditioned to prioritise everybody else's needs and wants ahead of our own. Today's conversation with the warm and wise Kemi Nekpapil really got me thinking. It was one of those conversations that once it finished, I just could not stop thinking about it. All the questions that we're not asking. What do teachers really want? What do teachers need to thrive? What do school leaders need to know to support teachers to thrive? And what can we do to help each other thrive? So with so many questions flying around my head, I had to just reach out and hear directly from you via a survey that explores what do you want? What do you need in order to create a generation of thriving teachers? What is it that you need? What is it that you need others to know? By taking the time to complete this survey, you'll be helping Australian teachers to put their needs and wants on the agenda. And if you know other teachers that would be interested, please let them know. All the details are in the show notes. Now on with today's conversation. In this episode, I have the privilege of chatting with Kemi Nekvapil. Kemi is one of Australia's leading coaches for female executives, a professional speaker and facilitator who has worked in the wellness industry for more than 25 years and holistic leadership for 10. Having studied at the Gross National Happiness Centre in Bhutan and having a 23-year yoga and meditation practice, Kemi understands there is a process for meaningful connection to ourselves, to our work, to our families, and to our community. In her coaching practice, Kemi works with leaders to unlock the obstacles that prevent values-based leadership. And as a facilitator, Kemi designs programs and works with organizations across the globe. In 2018, Kemi was invited to Richard Branson's Necker Island and sat on a panel discussing humanity at work and is a Virgin Unite alumni of 100% human at work. Kemi also sits on the Australian Human Resources Institute advisory panel, exploring the future of work. In 2019, Kemi trained with the one and only Dr. Brene Brown in Texas, 
and is now a certified Dare to Lead facilitator, working with teams and organisations to create daring leaders and courageous cultures. She is the author of three incredibly moving books, Raw Beauty, The Gift of Asking, the book that we'll be discussing today, and her new bestseller, Power, A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of knowing what you want, what stops us from being honest with ourselves and others, how to ask for what we want and need, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kemi Nekvapil. Kemi, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Meg. Today we're going to be talking about your book, The Gift of Asking, A Woman's Guide to Owning Her Wants and Needs Without Guilt. What inspired you to write this book? being a woman who wasn't owning my wants and needs without I think for any of us we we write books either because we're in the middle of what we're exploring through the writing and through the words or we have been through something so I was someone that very much grew up with behaviors that were very much geared towards I'm independent I can do it on my own I can count on myself I may not be able to count on other people which definitely had its benefits 100% I think all of our behaviors do But the other side of that was I never let anyone in. I never let anyone contribute to me. I never showed vulnerability. I thought vulnerability was weakness. I thought asking for help meant that you were going to be let down. And then I remember one particular year, one of my siblings said to me, well, why would I help you with anything? Because whenever I help you, I've done it wrong. So what's the point anyway? And, you know, our siblings are always a mirror. And I really took that on. I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. So that was kind of the beginning. That was my late teens, early 20s. I started to really explore what is it to actually have wants and needs and then to ask for them. And then there's another point to that, Meg, and then actually receive them. I feel like there's three stages. Yes. And for so many of us, even to get to that first point, to recognize that we are a human with needs can be quite difficult because we've been taught to believe that we're of service, we're to be there for other people all the time. And it's not about us, it's about everybody else. So even identifying that we have needs can be really difficult for so many of us. Oh, 100%. You know, there's so much to that as an executive and personal coach. The other reason I wrote the book, I mean, that's kind of what crystallized the book. So I have my own personal journey of learning about asking, learning what it was to have needs and to ask for them and have them met and receive them. But I work with clients, some in education, I know that's where you're very passionate within education, corporates, not-for-profits, entrepreneurs. I work with a diverse practice of women and I just found this theme and the theme was it did not matter what the job title was. It didn't matter how far ahead in their career my client was. When it came to asking what they needed and wanted, there was this barrier. So then that had me explore because I work with, you know, women and people that identify as female. I, I work with a few good men as well. There's always a few good men that just wanted something different. So I work with them too. But it is mainly through the, the um, female lens that I look through. And it made me look at research and it made me understand how we're socialized. So this is even without having the educator 
part in the triad of belief. As women, we are socialized to be available to everyone else. Society rewards us for saying yes to everyone else. It rewards us for this idea. I don't even know how people can do it, but apparently we're supposed to make everyone happy. That just feels exhausting, even saying the sentence, but, you know, personally. But when we have been raised that way, either within our families or societies telling us you have to be available to everyone else all the time, that is your value in society, that is your worth. Not only do we see high rates of burnout in women compared to men, but also it means there's no time for women to reflect on, well, I'm servicing everyone else's needs and wants, but I don't know what it is that I need and want. And I can tell you, Meg, I have run many retreats and worked with many clients and many engagements where when I ask that question, most of the women in the room have no idea what they want and what their needs are. Yes, Kimmy, this deeply resonates with the work that I do. When I ask educators, tell me about your students, tell me about your colleagues, tell me what their needs are, their wants are, their hopes, their dreams, they can tell me. But when I ask the same question to them, I get this blank look. Yeah, it's, it's real and it's confronting for people. But you know, I know that you're a coach as well. I think that is, that is one of the most powerful thing about holding a space of coaching is that we give our clients, and I have a coach too, you know, is that we give ourselves or we give our clients the space to actually reflect on what is working. Like That is a powerful realization. That is a life-changing awareness to have. Wow, I don't know what I want and what I need. And to be able to just sit in that can be the beginning of incredible exploration into who we get to be moving forward. So why is it important for us to be able to ask for what we want? Because if we don't, we're just really horrible, resentful, angry, unfulfilled, horrible people to be about. <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, in, in my book, The Gift of Asking, I list so many reasons of why it's important to ask. And actually, one of the first questions I'll generally ask if I'm speaking in front of an audience is, why don't we ask what we need and want? Because I think it's important to acknowledge that there are reasons. So some people will say, because I don't want to look weak. I don't want to look like I don't have it all together. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to feel that then I have to give back. You know, it's this idea of like, I'm in debt to other people. And we always explore and have a conversation about that. But then we talk about the impact and the impacts of not asking for what we need and want can be feeling unfulfilled feeling disappointed, hoping instead of doing, feeling lonely, lack of sense of self-worth, withdrawing and shutting down, nagging, testing, suffering and causing others to suffer, feeling resentful, being judgmental, gossiping, feeling disempowered, blaming, being angry. That's a lot of impact for us and for the people that we spend our time with. And one thing I'll always say is that asking for what we need and want not only gives us a sense of worth and value and that we're worth contributing to, it also allows people in our lives to get a sense of their value because they're literally saying, oh, I have something I'd like to offer to you. And when we say, oh, no, I'm fine, we are just pushing that generosity and that energy back to them. I don't need you. I don't need what you have to offer. So for me, asking isn't just a one-way street. It also can elevate and ignite the worth in other people just when we say yes to their support and their help. It is so powerful to think about asking as not just a gift to ourselves, but a gift to our relationship because we're being honest and what the other person is seeing in us, we're articulating that instead of putting people into that position where they have to guess 
and we're thinking, I shouldn't have to tell you. You know, I talk a lot about setting people up to succeed. You know, I like to set myself up to succeed. I like to set my clients up to succeed. And when we assume that people should be mind readers, when we assume they should know, we set them up to fail. So I remember, and I share this story in the book, I remember speaking at a retreat and a woman raised her hand and she was probably in in her mid fifties. And she said, I've been married to my husband for 30 years and he should know what I want by now. And I actually really felt that when she said that, because I felt for him, I felt for her that she wasn't getting her needs met, but I also felt for him because obviously there was a lot of burden on him to guess and to know. And my first question back to her was, are you the same person that you were 30 years ago? And she said, no. I said, do you think he is? And she said, I don't know. So I said, so it sounds like not only does your husband not know what you need and want, you also don't know what he needs and wants. And there's an opportunity to have an open conversation around what feeling successful, nourishing, respectful marriage looks like for you 30 years on, as opposed to hoping and assuming that he should know and therefore neither of you are happy. Because generally in a relationship, if one of you is not happy, there's a pretty good chance that the other person isn't happy either. Yes, that is so true. And I'm thinking about the dynamics within staff and teams. The same thing applies. If we're constantly assuming that other people should be doing this or that without actually articulating it, no one's going to have a successful experience or that sense of real connection. There's so much disconnection when we're not asking for what we want. Yes, and there is something that actually brings us closer together. If somebody asks me for what they want very clearly, I'm either a yes or a no to that. Or I talk about counter offers, you know, so maybe yes, I can do that, but not on the date that you want. Is this date okay? Or yes, I can write that piece, but not within the time frame. Or I'd like to do it taken in a different direction. The thing is that when we don't ask what we want and we're passive aggressive and we feel resentful and we're disappointed, it creates disconnection. When I'm asked clearly for things, it actually creates a deeper connection because I can just say yes or no, or we have a conversation about what is needed as opposed to us going around thinking that everyone thinks the same as us. I remember an older mentor, maybe I was about 16 and this older mentor was in their 40s. And I remember them saying to me, you know, Kemi, not everyone thinks like you. And I, I'm sure my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, you mean? They're like, no, no, we're all individual humans. Like we all have different thoughts. We all have different ways of doing things. And we had a very funny conversation, but that was gold to me to learn that at 16 because it gave me the freedom to get curious about people and not assume that just because, you know, I think about staff rooms. Um, I have my, both of my in-laws have been teachers. My sister-in-law and my brother-in-law are teachers and my mum is a teacher. So I'm in the world of educators in various ways. And, you know, so the idea of someone leaving a tea bag, you know, by the side of the cup or in the sink and not in their cup. And then you, I cannot believe that person. And this sense of disconnection of just like, they are disrespectful. They are this, they are that. It's so much better to get curious or just decide, well, that's obviously not important to them. Is it important enough for me to mention it? Or do I just put the tea bag in the bin? And that's a very small kind of detailed example, but we can look at that in any version. Why does that teacher do it that way and not the way that I think? Why does that teacher educate their students that way? Why do they let them do that? I don't let mine do that. So once again, asking for what we need and getting curious creates more connection than disconnection. Yes, as you're sharing those stories, I'm feeling more connected to those stories. And you're like, hmm, I wonder why they did leave the tea bag. And then think, well, if there was a generous assumption, they may have just realized, oops, I'm on yard duty and I've got to go. Instead of thinking, 
they're useless and lazy and never get anything right. But you know what the thing is, Meg, the thing that I love about that is that, which can be confronting for those of us that would have put the tea bag where it needs to go, possibly, is that that person just may not be the flying poo about the tea bag. Like they were not on yard duty. They were very conscious that they just put the tea bag there and they don't care. So then there's an opportunity for growth for the rest of us, you know, that there's actually no reason they are just who they are doing what they do. And we have to decide, is this something that I need to make request request of them about or for, or is this something that I can just leave? Gosh, you're making me think about a lived example in my own home. The other day I was outside reading a book. I love to read a book in the sun just out the back. And my husband was busy gardening. And as he was busy gardening, weeding, doing all the things, he looked up and said, did you even notice that any of this needs to be done? No, it does not come up on my radar. It's like, oh, that's interesting because when I look outside, all I see is jobs to be done. So, but I don't see it. I don't notice it. Yeah. And it's probably a reason why, you know, you're together because he notices things you don't notice. And I'm a gardener and farmer myself. So I always see the jobs where our marriage is a swap. So when I get to the farm, all I see is what needs to be done. But that excites me. Like I love being in the soil in nature. Like that is one of my happy places. So I'm just ready. I literally walk in, whereas my husband lights the fire, makes a cup of coffee, sits down, gets a book. And I'll do that at the end of the day. I am there to work and smell the air and hear the birds and all of those things. So yeah, it is how we can connect as humans is acknowledging that we're actually very different and the same. And having the space to ask those questions without making people wrong because we're different. Yep, we are different and there's a beauty in that. And so when it comes to asking... How do we start on this journey to be getting clearer around our needs and wants? Look, it is a multi-layered journey for for many people. What I have found is that some people will find it really easy to ask for a pay rise, just not even think about it. But if they go to a cafe, actually I've worked with a client who went to the same cafe all the time. I think she ordered a particular sandwich that had tomatoes in it. doesn't like tomatoes, so she would always have to pick out the tomatoes. And so we played a little game. I said, you know, here's a stretch goal. How about the next time you get your sandwich, you say to the person making it, I don't want tomatoes. And she was like, oh, I didn't do that. And I said, well, tell me why. Like, they'll just think I'm really picky and that I'm really fussy and that I'm a burden. And then we got to explore where that came from and when she was first told that she was a burden or that she was picky. Anyway, she went and she played. And I said, you know, when we next spoke, I said, how did it go with the tomato game? And she said, he said to me, I've noticed you picking out the tomatoes. And I just was thinking... Why doesn't she just ask me to not put the tomatoes in? And then my client, we were laughing because she said, I've wasted so many tomatoes over the years. Very small ask. But for her, that was the beginning of getting to the bigger ask, to asking her partner for things, to asking her colleagues for things, and then also being able to receive. So then accepting help and support. You know, I've worked with many clients who are very independent to their detriment because they find themselves, you know, life will throw a curveball as it always does. And either they have created, actually had a client recently say to me, I want to look as if I have it all together, which is very different than I have it all together. And so we got curious, remember, what does that mean? Where does that come from? And for her, the impact of that was that she felt really isolated and really lonely. And so we are social beings. We need each other. And it's a practice. Asking is a practice. As I've said, as women, we are not told. Go ask for all the things that you want and desire. You will be validated and acknowledged for those things. In fact, we have been told the complete opposite. Stay small, keep quiet, do not create a fuss. And so it's a practice for most of us. And I 
suggest that people just start with really, really small asks. That seems so manageable to start small and think of it like a muscle that we need to build over time. We can't go into these big asks without being able to manage and tolerate the discomfort that comes with the little ones. Yeah, 100%. And I talk about in the book what happens when you ask and you get a no. And I also talk because I know who I'm speaking to. There's also kind of how do you say no? Not only, you know, how do you react when you get a no, but how do you say no when you're asked? You know, because that is one of the things that hinders us owning our own wants and needs is being available to other people. So there's also how do you say no? And I remember doing it just a kind of example of the school playground where, you know, you're asked to make the gluten-free, egg-free, sugar-free, flour-free cake, you know, for the next day. And I'm actually someone that does respect people's dietary requirements and all of those things. But I remember once saying, no, I can't do that, but I can bring a plate of fruit. Is that helpful? Or do you already have that taken care of? We can contribute, but we can contribute in a way that doesn't actually cost us our sanity, our mental health, our well-being. And this idea that we have to be good all the time. You know, I talk about in the book, the pressure to be a good girl and how that looks as we get older, a good mother, a good wife, a good colleague, a good sister, a good daughter, that that badge of being good actually hides who we are and our full self-expression. And once again, being self-expressed in the world is not easy for women. And it's not easy for those of us that have marginalized identity. And so once again, getting away from being good and being more than that is also a practice that is vulnerable and confronting and sometimes scary. It can be really scary. So what is some of the feelings that come up for people when they're going for the ask? What is it that's happening in their mind? One of the funniest things that happen is when people are asking for something, but they're actually apologizing and not asking at the same time. So the equivalent of that may be, I'm just trying to think, let's just think of um, maybe two teachers. One's asking if they can cover a class for them or something. I was just wondering if you could cover my period next Wednesday at four, but I understand if you can't do it because I know it's quite a difficult group, but if you could, that'd be great. And I'm really, really happy to cover all of your classes for the rest of my life if you can do that next Wednesday. But actually, I can just tell that you actually don't want to do it. So it's actually fine. But if you could, it'd be really helpful. So then the person that's being asked, I mean, I would just be bamboozled. I, I have no idea what is going on. And generally, we're default to no. So then it's like, well, no, because I don't really know what you're asking me for. So nervousness and apologizing as we're asking can be really confusing for the other person because basically the ask is, are you available to take my period next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for an hour? That's it. And then the other person actually has mental space to consider whether that is okay for them. And in terms of if you're someone that always says yes to that ask and maybe you shouldn't, One of my favorite responses is, I'm not sure, give me 24 hours. And that just gives those of us that might have a default response of, yes, I'll do anything anyone asks me anytime, regardless. It just gives us a little bit of breathing space, a little bit of a pause to then come back the next day and give the answer, which may be, I thought about it and actually I don't have capacity to cover your class, but do ask me again at another time. If you want to be asked again at another time, if not, Do not put that on at the end because then you will be asked and then you're going to go through the same thing. Oh, gosh. The example that you share there, I think, oh, think of how many people have had those conversations in the staff room where they desperately want to ask, but then they don't want to be difficult or put people out and then it just gets all muddled. So why do we feel the need to constantly justify? Well, it's different for different people. Let me ask you, I mean, what's your relationship to asking and do you feel that you justify and what is it for you? Because you'll know this as a coach. 
it's so different for everyone. Like it's really nuanced. And so we'll do it for different reasons. We'll apologize and justify and overcompensate for different reasons. So when you ask for things, why do you or do you justify? My default response is to justify. No, because, and I can go into a whole monologue, really like detailed monologue of all the reasons why I can't possibly do this thing. And then I have to go back and delete half of that and just think, hang on, they don't need all that information. And also I found now as speaking gets bigger and bigger and there's more, I'm in a position now where I do need to say no or later in the year. And I feel myself feeling like I have to say, because I've got to, I can't do too many flight, like go into this monologue, but then I have to catch myself and be with just the facts. They don't need all the information. And I go back to that Brene Brown quote of clear is kind, unclear, unkind. When in doubt, always go back to Brene Brown, I reckon. I think that's just a life motto, don't you think? Well, but it's a practice. You know, I run Dare to Lead retreats. I had the privilege of training with Dr. Brene Brown in 2019. And I've run a lot of Dare to Lead workshops. And clear is kind is incredibly powerful and incredibly hard for many people to actually get. But then once they get it, really understand it, but it's very confronting because then you have to strip away, as you say, the justification and the apologies and the whys and, and the lies, you know, the, but please ask me again next week. I'd love to have Charlie round for a play date when you just cannot stand Charlie or his parents. And the last thing you want is to have them round to your house. You know, that you have to strip all of that away and just say, actually, we're not doing play dates for the next 17 years. So but check back in and they're at uni if they go to you. So yeah, I think it's different. It's different for different people, but clear is kind is always the best thing. And the thing is, when we take the ego out, generally the person who's getting the communication, thank you so much for asking, but I'm unable to accept this invitation. They just go, oh, okay. They might say, that's a shame. And then they'll just find someone else. They'll just find somebody else to do that thing and think that, oh, if I don't do it, if I don't do the school run, who's, I mean, I'm not talking about our own children. I'm talking about picking up other people's children. Because yeah, if you don't pick up your children, that could be an issue. Maybe not. You know, for me, those sorts of things are about community and why communities, you know, asking to create communities with other parents and other people in your lives, because we were not meant to parent alone. It is a really hard job and we are supposed to do it in multi-generational communities. So actually, that could be something that someone listening to this may decide to ask for. I'm going to ask that other mum who's always in the school playground at exactly the same time as me, our kids are in the same class, if actually we can work out some kind of car share. You know, it's those little things, but that's life-changing stuff. If you just have to do one, you know, one school run less a week, if you're the one that does it five days a week, that can make a really big difference to your well-being, your mental health and your capacity for other areas in your life. Yeah, it can make such a difference. And I'm thinking of educators who are thinking about reports and proofreading and all these different things that happening. If it doesn't stick to the system and people haven't done their proofreading and then someone at the end of the line gets stuck with all of this work that clearly hasn't been proofread, that would have been proofread, they have a choice to take it back to the person or just think, oh, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to do it myself. I'll just get in and get it done. But then by not having that ask, we create more work for ourselves. And then as you say, we become disconnected and then we get resentful. And then when we see them in the corridor, we're thinking, God, I wish you would do your reports properly because I'm proofreading them all night. And all of this extra stuff starts 
And so when we learn to ask and have difficult conversations, they're just releasing the pressure from our minds and our relationships. Yeah. And I think there's another part to that, Meg, as well. It'll be a very courageous leader that went up to the person and said, hey, I wish you'd proofread more because it's given me more work. The reality is that that person has gone and spoken to everyone else in the staff room or a few other people. And that's where the clear is kind, unclear is unkind. To not talk about other people behind their back around where they are, you know, maybe not meeting the grade or whatever it is, and actually give them the opportunity. Because when we decide, oh, well, I'm going to do it, we miss elevating that person's work. We miss giving them the opportunity to get better at what it is that they're doing. Fall back, as we've already spoken about, why don't they know? They should know. Mm, Maybe because no one's told them. And so we can kind of decide, oh, it's easier for me to blame and point the finger and be disappointed with them as opposed to me having, you know, which may be an, uh, a courageous conversation, depending on who you are, to say, hey, I really need you to proofread this work before you send it to me. Um, this is where you're really strong in this area. This is where I can see there's room for opportunity and room for growth. And you can freely ask me questions because within three months time, I want, by the time that I get the work, it's only going to take me an hour. At the moment, it's taking me three hours, you know, so let's work together in how we can just have this as a much tighter outcome. Just that creates a conversation. It creates a sense of we're in this together. If you can do your bit, then I can do my bit. And then together we create something that honors our work. Um, but I think that your I, my experience is that a lot of people will not go up to the person. They will just talk about that person behind their back. Yes. And this is something we see in our students all the time. Something will happen with a student. They don't deal with it, but they'll tell their closest 20 friends. And then it's through the whole year level. And the person who it's involved with, they don't even know that it's happening until it eventually gets back to them. And so highlighting that for all ages and all stages, being able to lean into these difficult moments, there's actually relief on the other side. There's greater connection and safety on the side. other side. It's kind of like me doing my ocean water swim. I don't really want to do it, but at the end, I feel relief. Yeah, and a sense of achievement and accomplishment and all of those things. And there is so much respect we have for people when they are clear and kind in their communication for us. We can not like people, but we can respect them because of how, you know, and, and I will speak when I work with leaders sometimes, if they are very much in the good girl and wanting to be nice and people pleasing, I might ask the question, if you could only choose one of these, which would you choose? Would you choose that people said she was nice or would you choose I respect her? And I have not yet had a client that has gone for the nice. You know, most of us want to be respected for the work that we do, for the contribution that we bring. And we would like to think that we're respected enough, you know, to ask for what they need and have kind and clear conversations with us. That is such a beautiful question for us to consider. Do we want to be known as nice or be respected? And then if we want to be known as being respectful, we need to show actions that align with that. So respectful is having that conversation that you don't want to have, but having it just between the two of you and then moving on, that really is respectful. 100%. And the thing is as well, you know, I have a real like, makes me shudder the word nice, especially when it's given to women. I was like, oh, who wants to be nice? There's a distinction between nice and kind. So kindness is actually, as you've said, having the conversation with that one person. That is kind. Nice can actually be, I think it can be used as a, like a veneer. It can be quite deceitful. I don't know, even in my mouth saying it, you know, it's kind of like, oh, nice, the nice person. You know, I don't know why I go to fallen voice, but yeah, there's something in 
giving people feedback to their faces and respecting them enough to be kind enough to do that. So something we haven't touched on yet is guilt. Where does guilt play in all of this? Well, once again, it depends who you are, but I think the the theme that I notice is that guilt mainly comes around either this idea, if I ask for what I want and I'm given it, then I will feel guilty that I have to return it. And that is a really easy thing to shift because all you need to do in that initial conversation is, I would love to have Charlie round for a play date, but I am unable to have your child round for a play date this term. Is that still going to work for you? Clear and kind. And that other parent is going to go, oh, they're not going to go, cannot believe, cannot believe you'd met. They're just going to go, oh, completely understand. I do actually need someone to have, I don't know, um, my child a little bit this term. So let me check back in on your next term. And you go, okay. And they go, okay. And that's it. Relationship's intact. You were clear. You were kind. The other reason I find that, that guilt comes in is that idea of being a burden, that we just don't want to make other people's lives difficult. But when we go back to the impact of not asking, if we're resentful and angry and withdrawing and shutting down, we're kind of making life difficult for everyone anyway. And our needs and wants are not met. So there's a choice that can be made there. Yes. Kimmy, you've given us so much to think about. To wrap up this beautiful conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Yeah. I am inspired by? Oh, nature and flowers. When life feels hard? Oh, when life feels hard, friends. An underrated skill is? The ability to rest. And I'm looking forward to being at the farm. Kemi, thank you so much for writing this book and helping us move towards more courageous, honest conversations. And thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast today. Thank you for inviting me, Meg. And let's all be kinder and clearer together. How impressive and inspiring is Kemi? If you loved listening to Kemi and want to hear more, I highly recommend her new Audible original podcast series, Power Talks. In each episode, Kemi works with high-profile women such as Yumi Steins, Megan Gale and Abby Chatfield to help them move into their personal power. The conversations are intimate, honest and bursting with practical ways that we can all create powerful change in our lives. Listen for free at audible.com.au forward slash power talks. Kemi's book, The Gift of Asking, A Woman's Guide to Owning Her Wants and Needs Without Guilt, is available online and in bookstores now. To learn more about Kemi and the transformative work she's doing around the world, see the show notes for more details. If you loved this episode, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. The teaching profession is in a crisis. And I am on a mission to make sure teachers' needs and wants are on top of the agenda. And in the spirit of asking, if you are a teacher, please complete my survey. Teachers, what do you need to thrive? Or if you know a teacher, please share the link with them. Together, we can help Australian teachers thrive well into the future. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash podcast 87. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. 
Until then, take care and take deliberate action.